It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is the year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Not a moment too soon. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of J.C. and Morgan, number 210. And it just happens to fall on our uh, seven-year anniversary. And if you're kind of doing the math, well, how does 210, 52 weeks in a year? Sometimes we do two in a given week. Well, when we first started this thing seven years ago, a lot of things were different. Okay, we were we were doing it on Skype. We didn't have professional-sounding microphones. Uh, we did it during the season, but we didn't capitalize on the off season, which as we know, college football is truly a year round sport. Um, we had all kinds of hiccups. We couldn't have guests. We, it, it was just, it was ragtag. It was Wayne's world cable access TV type stuff, but you know what? That's what makes this story so rewarding today. Uh, and the only reason I even know all this JC is because you had a post on Facebook years ago and it popped up in my memories segment. Uh, for those that have Facebook, you know what all that what that is. It'll just pop up memory photographs like this is what you posted seven years ago or this is what you did seven years ago, what have you. And uh, it was JC posting, glad to be a part of the uh, the first JC and Morgan. And you put a picture of of all things. The LSU head football coach at the time. Anybody want to guess who that is? Anybody? Give in three, two, one. Les Miles. That's right. It was Les Miles seven years ago, three coaches ago. Oh, how things have changed in Baton Rouge. But uh, anyway, we we say this. I don't think it's too too much. It might be not even enough. But we thank you. Uh, we've watched this thing grow by leaps and bounds. Some of you have been there from the very start. Most of you have not. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> it's definitely improved over the years, we think, and um, we're just uh, happy that it's emerged. I, I I listen to other college football podcasts. There's some good. There's some bad out there, um, but I feel real uh, good about what we've been able to do in that amount of time. So with that being said, uh, I am Mike here in Studio B. I'm actually in Kentucky today. Uh, JC is in Studio A, he is in Chicago as we continue to play geographical musical chairs, uh, and we, we're we ready to get this thing cranked up, JC. We've got a lot of stuff to get to, so I don't want to waste yeah. too much time. How are you, sir? Got a long way to go, short time to get there. We're going right. to do what they say can't be done. But yeah, um, it's I call it Studio North, and then Studio I have Studio North. South. Uh, okay. I'll be in Columbia, South Carolina, actually, the next three J.C. and Morgans, depending on the day. But, no, I think every any day we do it the next three weeks. But uh, certainly I flew back into Chicago from Atlanta uh, earlier this week uh, after being in Charlotte and then hitting a luxurious hell in Georgia for Labor Day and tubing down the Chattahoochee Love it. with the fiancé. It was a lot of fun. But, yeah, ready to get this thing cranked up. Lots to get to. A lot of uh, – a lot of interesting football this past weekend, and I think this coming weekend uh, we could see even more interesting results. Yeah, no question. And normally we do these on Tuesdays with the holiday and some of our uh, logistics. We couldn't do it this Tuesday. So uh, we are going to review, as we always do, but we're also going to um, look ahead as we're, we're closer and closer to week two in college uh, football. It, it's 
just kind of some overarching thoughts on on week one. First off, we we have to just quickly mention, and the timing of this isn't great. These are the kind of stories you wish would happen in like July when you don't have games to talk about. But we do have to mention the ACC did, in fact, officially add Stanford, Cal, and SMU. That That is a real thing. That will start next year. It is going to be an 18-team conference. Um, there's not much to be said here that hasn't already be, been said, JC. I, I would just say this. There are a lot of people ripping this move for the ACC, including, for example, Paul Feinbaum, who who basically was saying, well, you just devalued your conference. This is terrible. This is the worst thing in the world. Look, I'm not sitting here and telling you that this makes the ACC a stronger league. I don't think that's what it was ever about. The ACC clearly has to now do some things that they're maybe not overly excited about. And if you were to get uh, give truth serum to Jim Phillips – uh, is was he really jumping for joy when he added two teams in California and one that's been relatively irrelevant for decades in Dallas? Uh, no, but at some point you have to you have to do some things uh, in order perhaps to even survive. You know that Florida State and Clemson want out. You know that North Carolina may want out. Um, you know, somebody was trying to uh, Paul was trying to make the point that. Uh, you you just now signed a death warrant. FSU and Clemson are definitely going to try and leave. Well, you can't just try and appease them to keep them in. You want to know who tried to appease a particular school and it didn't work out? Ask the Big 12 what it was like trying to kiss the feet of the University of Texas for all those years and how that worked. They bailed. Ask the Pac-12... Uh, what it was like to continually try to appease Southern Cal to make sure they're happy. Guess what? They bolted for the Big Ten. This is, it's an impossible mission, what you're asking Jim Phillips to do. I'm going to defend Jim Phillips on this one. He didn't create this, but this is what he's got. And so sometimes you have to do things that are outside the box. That's what they've done. What does it all mean in the end? I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think it devalues anything. I mean, the ACC is still going to be like most conferences. It's going to be judged on the strength of the topper, excuse me, the top tier, the upper tier of, of its league. We don't judge leagues based on the bottom. If we did, the SEC would be talking about Vanderbilt, and the ACC would be talking about, well, in some years, Duke. Obviously not this, this year. Um, you, you, you judge it based on the top. So Florida State and Clemson are still at the top for now. They also still want out, and for those that – that think that they're going to get out, again, I would point out, no one has broken a Power 5 GOR, grant of rights. Several have tried, several have wanted to, and it just hasn't happened. So uh, take that for what it's worth. That's the only. I don't want to spend too much time on it, JC, but I just thought, figured it was worth mentioning because it did happen over the last week. Yeah, I mean, am I a fan of the move? Do I, do I think it's another kind of desperate move to keep that league together? Yes. But what do you want them to do? I mean, you know, there's nobody they could have added Eastern-wise mm-hmm. that would have brought any value at all. Um, you know, you, you could you could kind of be sort of what I think the Pac-12 will end up doing long-term and become like a farm system and try to grow programs. Um, so you can add a, a USF or East Carolina or, you know, West Virginia is not going anywhere uh, after you've 
treated them like poo through <laughs> the years. Cincinnati's in the Big 12. So who do you go get? Um, and, and, and honestly, Mike, you know, what this does, it does two things to keep them intact. Number one, it brings more money in because – with all the talk about streaming, and, and I know we're going to talk a lot more about that because of the mm-hmm. ESPN Spectrum deal and all that, you're still bringing in the San Francisco Bay television market for all your sports. Right. Um, and you're also bringing in Dallas-Fort Worth. That mm-hmm. is a large television market. You are adding those to Atlanta and D.C. and all the Florida markets and uh, every other market you got, Greenville-Spartanburg, Raleigh-Durham, you know, wherever, you name it. So – uh, Boston, New York, you know, I, I forgot to Pittsburgh. I forgot to go up the Atlantic coast. Uh, and so that brings more money in because that's still more television dollars. And it also prevents the, what, what do they call them, the Magnificent Seven or whatever, uh, which I'm not convinced most of those schools had anywhere to go. I think they were Richard Gere from an officer and a gentleman. I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> Uh, I want your DOR. uh, I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to go. But uh, it keeps them from dissolving the league. Um, Because now, Stanford, Cal, SMU, they're not voting to dissolve the league. So so basically, you had three schools against it. And I think it's very telling and interesting. Mike, I was sitting in Charlotte um, around a bunch of Tar Heel fans and then Gamecock fans last weekend. And to see the fact that the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, the night before this became official, releases a long statement from their board talking about how they were completely against this move. And for them to, to, to make that, that school that has run that league for years, you know, pe- people close to the Florida State are the big dogs football-wise in that league. Make no mistake about it. Chapel Hill is the big dog in that league. They've run that. They've run that show for a year. They are the Tony Soprano of that league. They are the uh, Don Vito Corleone of that league. There's no question about it. And for them to come out and make that statement, and then for it to happen anyway, mm-hmm. that's very telling of of, of the state well, that things are in right now. I'll stay with your mafia theme. Somebody had to flip. And it wasn't going to be North Carolina, and it wasn't going to be Florida State, and it wasn't going to be Clemson. NC State flipped. It was Fredo. If NC State was Fredo. <laughs> I know it was you, Fredo. Oh. I know it was you. I love you, but you're going to have to get whacked on a boat in Lake Tahoe. Um, yeah, somebody had to flip. They, they got that one, as I've always said on this. The moment you hear there's going to be a president's vote, is the moment you know it's going to happen because they don't do votes without knowing the votes are already in. It's the same thing when in Congress. If you follow politics at all, they know how those votes are going to go before they actually go. Everybody says, I'm a yay or a nay before it actually becomes official. So they knew they had the votes. They got someone to flip, and the rest is history. And as you pointed out, I won't get too knee-deep in the weeds on this, but yes, every school is going to make more money now. So there's more financial uh, – there is a financial benefit component to this, and also it, it changes the the voting structure. You've got three more uh, votes out there to maybe diffuse a little bit of that power that Chapel Hill has uh, enjoyed over that league for a long, long time. So you know, just that that is 
really, I don't want to say the final domino because the, the Pac-2 is still out there and who knows what they, Oregon State and Washington State do. I always thought they'd be the, the ones that didn't have a chair when the music stopped, that they'd be left in the cold, and they have, and it's unfortunate. They don't deserve that. Their fans don't deserve that. We have a big uh, Oregon State fan, uh, Tony, uh, Tony in Atlanta, who listens, and uh, I mean, he is just like beside himself over this. Uh, those are those are not two apathetic schools. Those are two schools that love college football and their fan bases love college football, and they're sitting there just scrambling right now at, at, in the eleventh hour. But uh, that is that story. We can put the major part of all of this realignment to bed for now, and and just focus on games, which is what we're going to do. The JC Five is coming up. The JC5 presented by Elite Roofing and Restoration. Jeremy Johnson and his crew have been helping people with new roofs, roof estimates, whether it's hail damage, wind damage, or just a roof that, well, it's too old. And you know that eventually roofs have to be replaced on your house. Nobody wants to do it, but very often it is covered by insurance. So give them a call. Again, they cover Georgia, the Carolinas, Florida, parts of Tennessee, uh, no one I would trust more to do it, 678-781-1998. Again, that phone number for Elite Roofing and Restoration, 678-781-1998. All right, morale of a great nation, as always, relies heavily on the upcoming JC5, constructed by the one and only JC Sherbert. Absolutely, Mike. It was a pleasure putting together today's JC5 about uh, – 15 minutes before we went on the air. All right, so the first thing, but I've had this rattling around in the old noggin for a while, right? That's right. Length of games, and Lane Kiffin, who I tend to agree with uh, on Twitter quite a bit these days, I think Lane's a Gen Xer like we are, you know, the common sense, uh, you know, work hard, play hard guy, just like most Gen Xers. But uh, the common sense now is exuding from that generation. Uh, he had a great tweet today about girls that love football, and I tagged my fiance in it. So, honey, there you go. Look on Twitter. Uh, okay, so the games, the shortening of the games. Uh, first of all, I guess there were 55 minutes worth of commercials in Florida State, uh, LSU the other night. Um, uh, Chip Kelly made the point about the game going too fast and Hope y'all are selling a lot of commercials. That's kind of a Steve Spurrier thing. Oh, hope y'all are selling a lot of commercials. Uh, uh, and then, you know, Lane made the point, this was not a problem, you know, except for, for you know, trying to make it fit into a television window. And uh, I, I actually think ESPN does a great job when a game runs over of putting it on ESPN News or making sure it's on the app or, you know, making sure that it's available. Uh, on one of their many channels. Uh, I never thought this was like something critical for the game. And they did it under the guise of player safety, which is a pile of bunk. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've already tried to, they tried to do this once in 02 and, and Mark Rick spoke out about it and said, why are you taking away, you know, things the fans love? Uh, and I think I realized after sitting at a game live this past weekend and watching games on TV, the breaks are what makes the game long. It's not, it's not the plays. So, uh, and I think people, that's starting to get exposed. I understand all that TV money we just talked about. You have to sell inventory and you have to have more inventory. The more inventory, the better. I totally get that. But I don't know that the answer was, was taking away gameplay. Uh, 
Uh, and I've, it's something I've kind of struggled with uh, because I, I didn't know that it would be noticeable, but it is noticeable for coaches, players, fans, observers, all that. So uh, I, I think they probably need to go back to the drawing board and, and find a happy medium here uh, by next season because uh, it's just going to, you know, this is realignment and things like that. The TV dollars have turned people off as it is. Uh, I think taking away football, it will accelerate uh, people being turned off. Not saying people won't show up, not saying the sport's going to lose popularity. I'm just saying, you know, TV folks, you're kind of entering the danger zone a little bit. What say you? Agreed. Um, I, I wanted to take a wait and see on this, right? I, I didn't want to just immediately say, well, that that sucks. It's a terrible decision. Uh, they were downplaying the impact of it before it even started, right? Well, it's only going to mean a couple plays for each team. Um, you're still going to stop the clock on first downs within two minutes in each half. You're still going to stop the clock on every incomplete pass. You're right to say commercials aren't going anywhere. That That's an argument and a battle that if you're a fan – you're not going to win because when you those rights fees contracts have already the cashes have already been the checks have already been cashed they have to make that money somewhere they're going to make it on advertising uh, we're in a profession that people like you and me certainly don't want to discourage the value of proud proud sponsors uh, I've always said you don't need 20 minutes at the half in a college football game you, the NFL does it with 12. You mean to tell me you couldn't do it in 15? You want to shave five minutes a game off? Give me give me a 15-minute halftime. If that's not enough time for the band to get down there and recite a few tunes, uh, tell, tell the trombone player to go on a crash diet and get down there quicker. Hey, you're just going to have to make it work. I don't think we need 20-minute halftime. I mean, if you're at the stadium, do you, do you want 20 minutes between the end of the second quarter and the start of the third, we've just kind of gotten accustomed to it, but I don't know if anybody truly likes it. I don't think it's necessary. Um, here's where I really noticed where the rule can suck. Because a lot of games, you don't care. I mean, if it's a blowout, you don't miss those plays. And a lot of college football games, unlike the NFL, are blowouts. There's a lot of mismatches each and every week in college football. They just aren't. Where you notice it, so I, I watched every play of, of three games in particular. Thursday night, Utah, Florida. Saturday night, Battle of the Carolinas. Sunday night, LSU, Florida State. Um, when a team is behind and needs to score points in a hurry and play catch-up, and the team, what, what do they do? They go hurry up, they go tempo, they throw the ball first down, and as a fan, we are so used to, all right, clock stops. That's like a timeout, except it's not anymore. And so I don't like that at all. I mean, that is part, we don't have the two-minute warning, remember now, like we do in the NFL. So we have nothing to stop the clock other than an incomplete pass or out of bounds. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not talking the final two minutes, but, but a lot of these where you're down multiple scores, you don't wait till two minutes to hurry up. You might do it at seven and a half minutes, five minutes, three and a half minutes. And so that's when you really notice it. And, and I noticed it like watching the Gamecocks trying to rally against the Tar Heels. And it's like, okay, it's the first. Oh, no, it's not. You, uh, when LSU, uh, which 
we'll get to that game later. Uh, we'll get to all these games later, at least the key ones. Uh, w- when they're trying to mount a comeback, again, first down, no, no does the clock still ticking. So I don't think it was necessary. Uh, I wanted to see how it played out, and I watched it, and I noticed it like you did, JC. Not a fan. Just not a fan. Um, and I don't think coaches are going to be fans either because every coach has been in that situation where you're down in the fourth quarter and you need multiple scores, and you need that's part of the strategy. It's part of the strategy. So it's not just about making the game shorter. You are literally – uh, changing the complexion, the anatomy of a comeback in the sport. That, to me, is pretty dramatic, and I don't think it's necessary. And to your other point, yes, absolutely. I don't know any college football fan that's at a game or watching it on TV that says, oh, man, uh, if only this game was four and a half minutes shorter. I don't know. I don't know these people. So that was not a problem for fans. It's, it was not a safety issue. That's that's comical um we know what this was about and i i think they i think it's an overreach to say the least all right the pac-12 the last hurrah for this league looks to be pretty solid man you had a a lot of big scores uh, a lot of big wins uh colorado beating tcu was just the tip of the iceberg you know washington took boise state to the woodshed uh, Wazoo won by 26 at in, in the uh, Fort Collins. Not an easy place to play. Mm-hmm. UCLA, closer game than maybe I expected against Coastal, and, and the score was lower than I thought it would be. Uh, and then Oregon State against a pretty good San Jose State team on Sunday. Uh, blows out the Spartans in San Jose uh, behind DJ Ungolai. Uh, Pac-12 was uh, third. Was it, the record's thirteen and zero now. This thirteen season? and zero, if you include the extra game, yeah. yeah. Haven't lost a game, so um, uh, you know your thoughts. I know you're a quarterback guy, so I'll let you run with it. That this league does uh, have a lot of great quarterbacks this year. It, it's the best quarterback league, top to bottom. Uh, it, it really is, and and that's that's what that's showing out that that stat that thirteen and zero because. Um, not all of those games were just cupcakes. In fact, I'm not sure if there was an FCS one in the bunch. I'm sure there was at least one, but but not many. Um, a lot of those games, if you looked at the Vegas lines, were expected to be fairly close, and the Pack won all of them. And, of course, Utah beat down Florida in a, in a game against an SEC opponent on Thursday night. So, yeah, no, I, I, it's one of those if you're a Pack fan, you're just sitting there and you, you – get that picture of Larry Scott on one dartboard, and then on your other dartboard you put one of Klyovkov, and you just sit there and throw it at it all day long as you cry in your beer and watch the dismantling of a league that lasted around a century that was, would have had a high mark this season, and and now it's, it's just it's about to crumble uh, away. But, yeah. You got great quarterback play. You can overcome a lot of it. These are not great teams that we're talking about for the most part. The jury is still out on on the Trojans, but uh, all the other ones, they're not great teams. But many of them have great quarterbacks. And in the case of like the guy you mentioned, DJ Uyugulale, uh, that's a situation change of scenery. Change of scenery meant everything, and he's playing with more confidence now. He made a number of plays. We've talked about the the, the, the coaching staff at Oregon State. Uh, they certainly deserve better. Um, that is a 
that is a, a, a program that has had a history of having good coaches roll through there. Like Corvallis actually has attracted some pretty impressive uh, coaches over the years. Coach Erickson uh, would be one of the, the, the top names. But Jonathan Smith is, is a guy that people are going to become more and more familiar with, and I don't know how long he lasts in Corvallis given the future of that program. Uh, but he did a terrific job last year and did a terrific job. Uh, I think he'll do a terrific job this year with DJ in developing. So, yeah, it's, it's a terrific story, but it's also if you are a fan of any of those programs or that league, it's it's bittersweet. Jonathan Smith to Oregon State is like Josh Heupel to Oklahoma. Uh, he was a – I think he was a JUCO transfer. Maybe, maybe not, maybe a four-year guy. But the, the Erickson team – at OSU that went 11-1 and one and won the Fiesta Bowl, slaughtered Notre Dame, really good football team. I think Chad Ochocinco was on that team, too, mm-hmm. Chad Johnson back then. Right, um, right. You know, he was the quarterback. So he's a beaver for life in a lot of ways, coached under Chris Peterson at Washington. You know, so it, it, it will be hard to pry him out of there, but – you know, a lot depends on kind of where they're at. He's making uh, he, $2.4 million, which – is chump change in today's day and age. And I, I know Oregon State just poured a bunch of money into, into their stadium. Like, I don't know what the collective looks like over there, but if you don't G him up, he gone. Like, you're, you're only so loyal to your alma mater, even if you played there and you get the yeah. full, you know warm and fuzzies when thinking of yesteryear. Uh, he's going to have to get paid, and he's going to be highly coveted. Him, Mike Elko from Duke. Uh, I think we've seen enough from him to realize he's elite. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I know they're going to the Big Ten, so they're going to be in pretty good shape money-wise. But uh, Kalen DeBoer from Washington, man. That guy. That guy. I didn't think they could upgrade from uh, Chris Peterson. And, Mm -hmm. and of course, they had Jimmy Lake, who was a disaster. (laughs) Uh, And then – but – Kalen DeBoer's been really good since he was the OC at Indiana. Then he got Fresno State. Right. Uh, you know, uh, watch out. Like, if Michigan comes open, because he's a, a mid, got some ties to the Midwest, watch out uh, for that there. Notre Dame is awfully good. I know they play Tennessee State. But, man, you watch them play. It, it reminds me of some of those early Saban Alabama teams in some ways. Probably not as athletic on defense and in the secondary as those groups. But they are big, strong, powerful, fast and Sam Hartman, yet again, 14 for 17, 194 yards, only played half the game, two touchdowns. I'm telling you, if they take NC State to the woodshed this weekend, which I anticipate they will, Ohio State, and I, and then Central Michigan the following week. I'm not I'm not basing this on Ohio State struggling at Indiana because, Lord knows, you know, blooming. I'm not even going to say that. That's ridiculous. Bloomington's a tough place to get play, but. Um, Ohio State better watch out here in a couple of weeks because this team uh, that Notre Dame has this year, it just feels different and looks different. Your thoughts? Massive on the line of scrimmage. Might have the best offensive lineman in college football in, in the alt kid. Um, they always have tight ends that are matchup problems. And they're they're good enough on defense. I don't know if I'd say they're a dominant type of, you know, what we're used to seeing with a lot of SEC powers uh, defense, but but good enough. I think NC State might make a game of that. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, certainly I was plenty wrong on my picks last week. 
but I, I actually think that can be a competitive. That could be like a little bit of a trap game. You're right. Everybody's looking forward to the Ohio State game. Uh, we've talked about it. You know, wh- who are the potential, f- to, to use a Tim Brandoism, fly in the ointment type of programs that could spoil the, the the college football playoff party? If Notre Dame with that schedule goes 11 and one, they're in. It, it's like you you can you can book it. They don't. Have to, they're not going to play in a conference championship game. Uh, but that schedule has enough high-caliber games on it. We're eleven and one. I'm convinced Notre Dame is is a shoe in at that point. So even if you lost, let's say they lost to Ohio State in a close competitive game, they could still find themselves in a playoff. Uh, but that's not the only challenging game on the schedule, as we know. Uh, I still, I'm not, I'm not quite the believer yet, JC. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. There's no question getting a Sam Hartman. This is, again, oh, Dabo, you're going to have to realize we are in the portal era. You can't, you can't win championships without going to the portal. If Nick Saban does it, if Jim Harbaugh does it, if Lincoln Riley does it, if uh, – Kirby did it this past – he didn't do it two years yeah. ago. But, but he, he did it this now. past year. Yeah, yeah. He did he, it. He, yep. He sure, he sure, sure is. Uh, there, there's you can't you can't get to that next level because it's you are running a race and you're giving your other championship caliber type programs a five yard head start with the portal if you're not getting into it. So Notre Dame without Sam Hartman, I don't think this is much of a conversation. I think it's the same old Notre Dame. Um, but with Sam Hartman, that is a difference maker to what is already the building blocks that they already ha- always have in place. Line of scrimmage, they're going to be fine. Uh, they usually have a, a, a really good skill player somewhere, not as many as some of the others. Team speed is not always Notre Dame's strength at that at that level, but but yeah, uh, Sam Hartman could certainly be the difference maker. I'm a believer in Notre Dame. I'm just not not all the way there. Let's see what they do Saturday against the Wolfpack. And I don't blame you, Mike, because this leads me to my next point, but I'm going to point this out. Okay, so they played week zero. They do not have an open date until October 21st. All right, Mm -hmm. so here's how this bad boy shakes out for them all of a sudden, all of a sudden. You go to Raleigh this weekend. Uh, I'm with you, not an easy place to play. The pack was a a little underwhelming at UConn. But they won, and, and I'm going to say this, Jim Mora has UConn playing much better than the, the, the dumpster, job. dumpster fire that they've got. Jim Mora's a good coach. you mm-hmm. got the Chippewas of Central Michigan coming in, then the big game against the Buckeyes on September 23rd. Well, wait a minute. The next week, they go to Wallace Wade, Durham, North Carolina, <laughs> to play the Dukies. All right. Oh, oh, but wait, because this, and this this game got overlooked a little bit. Louisville, Georgia Tech got overlooked a little bit. Uh, Georgia Tech was playing their butts off in Atlanta, mm-hmm. playing inspired football, and then Jeff Brom just starts dicing them to pieces like a yeah. sushi, uh, like a like a hibachi chef, man. Uh, Jeff Brom's awfully good, and I think Louisville's a much improved football team this year. Yeah. So they turn around and go to Louisville the following week, and then oh, 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 who comes to town the next week? The Trojans. Yeah. So so you don't get – Notre Dame does not get an off weight week until the next week, and then they play Pitt at Clemson, Wake Forest, and at Stanford. So, 
can they stay healthy? Can they sustain this? Can they? I mean, because the, the all of a sudden you look and you're like, after Central Michigan, there are just landmines every you know, the next three weeks at Duke, at Louisville, at Southern Cal coming in. That's it. So that works both ways. It works great for Notre Dame if you win because mm-hmm. you're a shoe in for the playoff, even with a loss. They say they drop one to Clemson later. Uh, but there are a lot of potential losses there all of a sudden that maybe we didn't think. Uh, yeah. And on that note, I think the ACC, Mike, based on – and I'm not trying to overreact from one week, but uh, I'll be honest. You saw North Carolina's spring game. You knew they were preaching toughness. I thought they did play very tough against the Gamecocks on Saturday night. I thought they were – a much more physical football team than South Carolina. But I also think compared to last year's North Carolina team, they're much more physical. We saw what Duke did to Clemson. Uh, I mentioned Louisville. Florida State obviously looked like the class of the league. Uh, and then I don't think Clemson's going to go away and you know bury their head in the sand or, or, or whatever. I think they'll still be a contender. I think top to bottom this season, the Atlantic Coast Conference, is one of those years kind of like 2016 where a lot of good quarterbacks – uh, in the league, um, a, a lot of uh, – it, 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 my point is, see if you agree, I think the ACC will be much more competitive uh, than maybe we thought uh, heading in where we're like, well, maybe Florida State will challenge Clemson, but it's it's a Clemson-FSU world. I, I think there are a lot of good teams in that league this year. Agreed. Um, the, the Florida State dismantling of LSU, and LSU did everything they could to lose that game – just terrible red zone offense, terrible goal line offense. Uh, and, and Chip Kelly, who I defend on this show quite a bit, I still think Chip Kelly's a uh, – sorry, Chip Kelly. Brian. Get, uh, yeah, Brian Kelly. I Chip get Kelly's, confused, too. Chip, Chip Kelly's good, too. He's doing his thing at UCLA. But but Brian Kelly, um, I think Brian Kelly is a good coach. I think he's the right guy for the job. Uh, and I don't think, you know, it was like his – strategy that killed LSU, although I will say sometimes hubris is a bad thing that can work against you. When you can't get it on first and goal and second and goal and third and goal and it's the first quarter of a game, take the points. That was mistake number one, but they had multiple mistakes. They were leading that game at the half, and then they just got walloped by FSU. And I saw FSU up and close last year at the bowl game. The fact that they got Jared Verse back – I don't know how they pulled that off, uh, but that's a first-rounder last year. Now he's just turning himself into a top-ten pick. He's one of the most unblockable players in college football. They have a quarterback, and then they go into the portal. There it is again. Uh, and they get Keon Coleman from Michigan State, who is just almost unguardable. Okay, And, and they had no answer. And this just in, they've got athletes on the perimeter at LSU on defense. They couldn't. They couldn't cover him. Could not cover him at all. So all the talk is about, you know, another receiver they have at six foot seven. That's your best. That's your biggest weapon right there is Coleman, and he's gonna he's going to shred defenses throughout the season. And then Florida State has a defense. This has all been building under Coach Norvell, and Florida State did a wise thing. They didn't hit the panic button. They stayed with it, and now Florida State. You know what? You know the term I like to use, JC. They're a volcano program. They are going to erupt eventually. You're going to keep them down for a while with some bad hires uh, and maybe some bad breaks, but they're never going to stay down forever. At some point, Florida State was going to get back to playing uh, competitive or championship level type football, and I don't think it's an overstatement to say they they're back. 
There's no reason why they can't win that league. they got a big one against Clemson. We'll see how they do in that. Um, but they are back. This conversation, this question that you posed would have been a lot stronger had Clemson not spit the bit against Duke. But that's more of a credit to Duke. I mean, Mike Elko won nine games last year. I told everybody about Riley Leonard. Like, that dude's going to be an NFL quarterback some, in some time, somewhere. You watch. He's an incredible athlete. Uh, and so the bottom of the ACC, Georgia Tech was competitive, as you pointed out. Louisville, Brahms, that's like the perfect fit. I mean, that, that to be able to, without all the workout the way it did, he'll get Louisville back to relevance. So, yeah, I think it's a it's stronger league than people probably thought going in. And the FSU win over LSU, which was, again, the primetime game, the only game going on, that clearly was one where that's a statement game, not just for one team. But for for the conference as well, and obviously the Tar Heels over the Gamecocks. I I did not know. I I, I told you what the coaching staff told me last spring. Uh, we have to stop being soft. That was their message. Soft, 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 soft. We're tired of hearing we're soft. We're tired of playing soft. We were soft in the red zone on offense, and we've been soft on defense, and nobody respects us, and, and justifiably so. You combine that with a bunch of four star kids that finally started playing like four star kids on Saturday night. And you combine that with Gene Chizik, who this just in is, knows a thing or two about coaching championship defense, and all of a sudden they've got a front seven that looks formidable, and they dominated that game for anybody who watched it. Uh, so yeah, if if it, oh and they have a and they have a top five NFL draft pick quarterback, that's the, that's a pretty good recipe to win a lot of games in in Chapel Hill. So all of a sudden now, if they didn't have a lot of respect going in, I think they came out of that with a lot more. Absolutely, uh, and uh, that's uh, that, that's the thing. I, I, and and you know because Notre Dame, we mentioned Notre Dame earlier, plays five ACC games a year. It does affect them as well. So, uh, by the way, Mark from Vegas on the chat line here says TJ Hooms was TJ Yeah, he was on that team as well. Yeah, right. Help me there, Mike. Man, you're the you're the NFL broadcaster, not me. TJ was yeah, also was on that team. Good. So yeah. wow, that was crazy. That was crazy. Um, you know, and, and just to wrap it up here, SMU, Cal, Stanford, how they fit into that league? How does it help them? Hurt them? I, you know, I, I don't know about Stanford necessarily. Uh, I think all three. It's going to be at least for a few years be intriguing in basketball season. Because yeah. you've got so many traditional powers in the ACC, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, uh, Louisville, all all rotating in. Uh, so of the three, who does it help the most? I, I think it by, by far it helps SMU the most, followed by Cal, and then Stanford, who's just kind of trying to find a, a home and find their way back to relevance in a lot of sports. But uh, I, I think it could be a saving grace uh, for SMU and Cal just – you know, kind of getting in for SMU, a higher-level situation. Uh, and for Cal, you know, maybe going out and playing some new teams and, and getting a breath of fresh air uh, after struggling in the pack for a while. Yeah, look, I don't think anything bad comes out of this other than the student-athletes that have to travel for the other sports that are not on a charter flight, uh, which, again, if you've ever been on a charter flight, you know chartering across the country is really not that bad a deal. In fact, some people would say it's pretty cool. You just sit back in your plane, and you got food waiting on you. You're not going through TSA security. 
uh, or TSA security in Atlanta's airport with some of the most miserable, unhappy, and bitter people on the planet. You don't have to worry about any of that. You just you just have people waiting on you hand and foot. These college kids actually do okay when it comes to travel if you're football and basketball. The other sports, not so much. Uh, we're going to do our boss segment later on, top performers over, over week one. I'm going to add this right now since you brought it up. Here's who's the boss, SMU wealthy alums, because they wanted this to happen so badly. The only way it was going to happen is if they said, we got this. You don't need to give us a dime. We'll foot the bill for like 10 years. And that's what they did. That's unheard of. That's unheard of. They're not getting the TV money. So all these other schools are making more money than they did before, and SMU says, no, but you, you, you keep your $35 million, whatever the number is. I'm losing count because it changes every time you add and subtract teams. You keep it. We got it. We're, we're SMU. We'll, we'll find the money between the seat cushions. That is a major flex. That is a major boss move, and it's the only way that a program that, again, has been largely irrelevant since the Pony Express, that they get into a Power 5 league that doesn't make sense geographically, historically, successfully, really any other way. So I admire that move. Good for good for SMU. Beautiful campus. Been there. Beautiful campus. Uh, good education and a lot of wealthy alums. And sometimes today's day and age of whatever, it's all about the dollars. If it's going to make sense in college football, SMU's alums said, no, 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 no. We're doing it, baby. Here's the check. Don't you keep that thirty-five million? We got this covered. Love it. There's money. And there's old money. Just like yeah, that's right. That's, okay. And they got plenty. They got plenty of that over there. All right, good stuff. Off to a good start. JC five again. Lots more coming, including the boss segment. We'll talk about upcoming games. Uh, I, I we will get into the Dion thing. I promise. I know you. You just haven't had enough coverage of Colorado and Dion. These last few days, I, I I don't think the media has given it enough run, but we will touch on that as well. It's J.C. and Morgan presented by Chicken Cock Bourbon. Chicken Cock originated in Paris, Kentucky. Now, it's about 45 minutes from where I'm from. Uh, Paris, Kentucky is not far or where I'm at right now, I should say, not where I'm from. Uh, not far from Lexington. You can find Chicken Cock near you on the Chief Sports app, which we're proud to be a part of, in the Chicken Cock Challenge section on the home screen. One of the fastest-growing bourbons in the U.S., smooth, little-to-no aftertaste or bite. Serving J.C. and Morgan, get your Chicken Cock today. Serve your game day with Chicken Cock, proudly made in Kentucky and South Carolina-owned. More J.C. and Morgan coming up after a quick timeout. Down here in the South... We don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams, or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs, or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in southern soil, are crafted by southern hands, and proudly represent the south in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Hey, folks, want to tell you about our friends at Titan Construction Group really quick. They're a mid-Atlantic-based general contractor, specializes in retail, restaurant, and office construction. TCG strives to separate itself from other general contractors by adding value every step of the process. 
from project budgeting to estimation, value engineering to construction. They focus on those relationships and not the transaction. Titan builds partnerships one project at a time among their clients are Starbucks, Crumble Cookie, uh, Blake Pizza, Home Goods, 15 plus years experience based in Midlothian, Virginia and contracted in Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina and South Carolina. So get on their website, Titan cginc.com that's titancginc.com get in touch with Brad if you're in need of a general contractor that focuses on going above and beyond for their clients that's Titan Construction Group a proud sponsor of the JC and Morgan podcast Mike here for Elite Roofing and Restoration. Chances are you're a homeowner. You're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time the roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials materials, and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form, get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration, don't settle for second best. Hey, this is Mike Morgan, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone just keeping the dream alive like me, you want to make sure you have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where the world-renowned Dr. Michael Hatrack of Synergy Sports Wellness and Synergy Release Sports come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and he has served thousands of people, including over 400 NFL players, over a career that spans 47 years. Yeah, he's that good. And his staff's personalized biomechanical treatments and therapies can handle it all. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. We all know the injuries, but few know the solutions the way Dr. Hatrack and his terrifically trained staff do. I've seen others. No one delivers the results the way they do. That's why people from all over the country come to Synergy's two Georgia locations, Buckhead and Alpharetta. Dr. Hatrack has trained a team of chiropractors in his proprietary technique that has been proven to yield life-changing outcomes from professional athletes to the Joe Schmoes of the world like, well, me. Check out the website to set up an appointment today, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCandMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can reach your wellness goals. All right, back with you here on JC and Morgan. Uh, as always, we want to mention a couple of things. We're not huge self-promoters, you probably have realized by now. We need like our own PR department at this point in time. But to not sell us uh, completely short, you've got the website, jcandmorgan.com, which will get to some of the mailbag uh, entries uh, from earlier in the week and even this morning. You can always email us. Uh, just go to the website, upper right-hand tag, mailbag. We'll read your question or comment on the air, or we'll get to as many of them as we can. Uh, also, we are now, if you're watching us, listening to us live, we do this live each and every week. We're on every major platform, not just audio with Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, but also video. Yes, you get to see our smiling faces on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. 
And I try to do uh, a background, JC, uh, of, of a stadium that's relevant in college football. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been sporting what? NRG Stadium in Houston. Why? Because January the 8th, that's where the national championship game will be played. Uh, this week, if you are watching right now, then you know that you'll see behind me is a, a stadium that you probably have never been before. I haven't. And you probably haven't seen much on TV before because they're rarely televised. But that is Memorial Stadium, War Memorial Stadium, in Laramie, Wyoming, which opened its lovely doors in September of 1950 for the cool price of $1.5 million. And just to paint the picture for those of you who are just listening to us, in the background, like a lot of schools in that part of the country, beautiful mountain landscape, open-air stadium because you don't have a ton of seats, and, and just an exquisite view. Now, why am I showing that? Because kudos to Wyoming, uh, and I'm, I'm stealing a little thunder on the boss segment, but they went ahead, Wyoming did, and pulled off an upset. Uh, and I just I wanted to get to this quote here real quick. They pulled up an upset over Texas Tech, and 35-33 in double overtime was the uh, the score. That alone itself is a, is a neat story that we love about college football. Again, on this podcast, we don't just focus on the same three things that you're going to hear regurgitated on every show. Uh, Texas Tech was a dark horse pick by a lot of people in the Big 12. Like People people were very high on the Red Raiders this year. Why they went to Laramie to play a football game, I don't know, J.C. <laughs> Somebody scheduled it, though, and they're regretting it now. But... Wyoming. Have you been to Wyoming? Have you ever been to the state of Wyoming? I have not. That's one of the few states I have not been to. Me neither. I, I, it's, there's, I think, four or five states I've never been to. And most of the states I've been to have been to, to, to broadcast a game. And I'd love to do a game in Wyoming, but it just never happened. Uh, so I don't know much about Laramie, Wyoming, other than it gets really cold in the winter. This is a quote, uh, a tweet by Grant, Graham Coffey. On Twitter, who I believe covers Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, but he maybe he has some ties to to Wyoming, uh, much like uh, our own Jamie Bradford has uh, in-laws out there. Uh, he said, "People hear Wyoming and and picture the I believe it's pronounced Tetons, Tetons. In reality, that's a small slice of a state that is treeless, windy, and oftentimes bleak." Only one city has more than 50,000 people. If you don't arrive there already having made your millions, it's a hard place to scratch out a life. People make their money in mining, drilling, and agriculture. Walmart is the biggest employer in the state. The second largest is the University of Wyoming. It's damn near impossible to recruit football players there, but the school brings pride to a lot of people. Spend time traveling across the whole of Wyoming, and you'll find it's a hard place not to pull for. Watching this tonight made me happy and reminded me why college football is great. They're trying to price the Wyomings out of college football. Don't forget there are people who live and die with teams like the Cowboys with just as much passion as fans of the big brands. I thought that was an awesome tweet. He has, I don't, he doesn't cover Wyoming, so I don't know exactly where that came from. Clearly he's been there and knows a thing or two about it. But, J.C., that is part of the, the, the fabric of college football that we love. It's not just the same five brands that are competing for the national championship every year. Every game is relevant to a group of people. And, and I love that. And that, that's part of the reason I, I really hope, Mike, that uh, the Pac-12 and Mountain West work out this reverse merger thing, number one, because 
I'd like to see the money that was supposed to go to all the schools that left go to some schools that could use it, right? Number two, you do have flagship universities, uh, you know, that, that do embody the pride of an entire state uh, in that league, uh, you know, Wyoming being one of them. Uh, the two Nevada schools go back and forth as to which one's the flagship, and they claim it's Reno, but it's really UNLV, whatever. Um, New Mexico is, uh, you know, uh, the Lobos flagship school. Uh, you know, and, and and I think that, I mean, heck, if, if Nebraska, uh, you know, states like that can end up having relevant football programs nationally, why can't Wyoming? Um, I do understand it is barren, uh, and it's not all – People, people look and they think Jackson Hole, uh, which I think is what he was talking about. And Jackson Hole is a very small part of the state. And uh, Bradford's actually driven it, uh, I think, from one corner to the other. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, more power to him, man. But uh, <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I, 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 that's, that's one of the reasons I, I sort of hope the Pac-12 can reinvent itself with some Mountain West programs because, uh, you know, th- these states are a little barren, but, I mean, if you look up in Idaho, it is what the fourth fastest growing state in America right now. Uh, people are moving. I did out not of know Calif- that. They're moving out of California in terms of course. Idaho's got a lot of more, a lot more natural scenery than Wyoming, but uh, mm-hmm. still, it's a, uh, it, it's one of those things where I hope schools like this uh, remain relevant and get a shot. And and one of the ways to do that would be uh, for the Pac-12 to remain intact and have some sort of reverse merger with the Mountain West. And I'm sure that, you know, at least all the flagship schools like Wyoming, New Mexico, Nevada schools uh, could get, you know, get move up, you know, do whatever. Yeah. But, uh, hey, here's something else that's funny. Last time North Carolina beat South Carolina, you and I sat there and watched Wyoming beat Missouri. So that's right. Uh, if the Tar Heels right. are playing yeah. the Gamecocks in Charlotte, the Tar Heels win. If you're a Wyoming fan that night, <laughs> you're, you're about to get rewarded with a massive upset. I think it's safe to say you were the only person on this planet that made that connection. Uh, Tar Heels and Wyoming uh, enjoying uh, similar fates a few years apart. All right, quickly around the SEC. Again, there were there were three major games. I'm not going to spend too much time on on SEC teams piling up on FCS opponents. Uh, the SEC against ranked teams went 0 and 3, average loss by 16 points per game. Uh, I think there's a difference, though. Not all losses are built the same. At no point did I feel like LSU did not belong in the same field as Florida State. LSU has plenty of talent. And, and losing Mason Smith, that started to change my feel for the game. I think that's that's a little more important than people might uh, believe. Mason Smith's going to be a, a first-round draft pick. He's a hellraiser defensive lineman, kind of in the form of a Jalen Carter a year ago at Georgia. Uh, but that being said, LSU's offense was problematic. Too many mistakes, too many miscues. Um, they they didn't score when they had opportunities in the red zone. But if you watch that game, the athlete, the athletic quotient on both sides, those that's what championship rosters look like. Doesn't mean they always play like championship teams, but it was a ridiculous amount of athleticism on the field in that game, by far and away more than what I saw in any other clash. Uh, but LSU is going to have to dig out of a hole again. They did it last year. They wound up beating Alabama. They wound up winning the West after losing a heartbreaker to Florida State. They're going to have to do that again. I'm not going to just jump off the bandwagon and say LSU's cooked. I don't believe that. I think it's still a really good team 
in uh, in Baton Rouge. We talked about the Battle of the Carolinas. It clearly, in, in JC, for those that don't know, uh, owns and runs the BigSpur.com, 24-7 sports. I know you were out there. Uh, I don't want to oversimplify this game, but when you can't block, it's really hard to win. And Spencer Rattler had no time to do anything. It had no running game, and you had – I think the number that I saw was 16 tackles for loss by the Tar Heel defense and one by the Gamecock defense. That's a good way to lose a football game. A lot of scrimmage, and even in spite of that, Rattler had no turnovers, (laughs) shockingly enough, because, I mean, when you're getting hit like that, you usually fumble or throw an errant pass and completed 77% of his passes. So Rattler did his job, but the Gamecocks have some work to do, I think, on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, I think on one side of the ball, there is a talent and youth issue and an injury issue on offense. I think defensively, there's really no excuse for them playing like they did, and they, they need to start replacing guys if they're not going to play better. The Leggett kid was the one standout for the Gamecocks. Like that, That's a star in the making right there. Juice Wells barely played, uh, but Xavier Leggett, who's 6'3", big, physical, strong. Yeah, I mean, he runs, runs four or five. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what an NFL wideout looks like. He's the one that had the hundred yard kickoff return against A and M to start the game last year, and he he's, he was a high school quarterback from a small town in the PD of South Carolina, uh, and it's just taken this long to kind of become the guy. Um, you know, probably should have gotten a little more more touches last year, but caught seven against Notre Dame and a couple of touchdowns in the bowl, and then. Backs that up with nine uh, against the yeah. Heels. So, a uh, star in the making, and that's good because they can get they can get Wells back. You know, you have two really, really good wide receivers and then some complimentary pieces. But they're going to have to block to win uh, any games uh, against their schedule this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure some things out up front. It's week one. It's overreactionary in most cases. Because you are deficient in one area in week one doesn't mean it can't be fixed throughout the rest of the season or at least improved. Uh, that'll be something to look for in Columbia with a lot of big games coming up on the schedule. And then the other one is Florida-Utah. And I, I will just say this because it feels like it's forever ago since it was a Thursday night game. Florida, unlike South Carolina, unlike LSU, they lost games in different ways. Florida looked undisciplined, unprepared. Uh, the play calling was questionable to say the least. But they had just ridiculous pre-snap penalties on third and one, fourth and one. It was as if they didn't have a fall. I, I, this is not to take away anything from Utah. I've said for years Kyle Whittingham is one of the most underrated coaches in college football, if not the most. They've won back-to-back Pac-12 championships. But they didn't have Cam Rising. They won the game with two backup quarterbacks. Uh, and they won the game by doing what they do. You're not going to beat Utah on the line of scrimmage. They, they're going to play as close to mistake-free football continually as anybody that, that plays at that level. And Florida just shot themselves. in the. They've got no toes left. Uh, and if you're Billy Napier and you're coming off 6-7 and seven and you want to get the fan base jazzed, it's one thing, like, you don't have the talent to do this, that, and the other. Grant Mertz actually didn't play badly. Uh, that's not where the problem was in that football game. They got other issues that they got to clean up. Uh, you know, you could look at it one of two ways. The good news is that's something you can clean up. You couldn't have played a worse football game. Uh, the bad news is you got a lot of games on the schedule that are going to be very difficult. And if you don't improve, it's going to be a, another long year 
in Gainesville. Uh, just quickly, around it was it's it's the year of some first year quarterbacks. Milrow of Alabama. We'll talk about the matchup against Texas. They look. He looked good, but let's see what he does again against the Texas defense. That'll be in Tuscaloosa. You've got uh, Beck at Georgia. Again, not really tested, but looked good. Thorne at, at Auburn. Leary at Kentucky. And I already talked about Graham Mertz at Florida. So you had a lot of new uh, players in the, uh, excuse me, quarterbacks starting in the Southeastern Conference. Early returns, I don't think we learned a lot. In many of these cases, we'll learn a lot more because if you look at the SEC slate, so I mentioned the 0-3 against top 25 foes. This is another, like if you are anti-SEC, you might be able to like hold your own personal party if things go sideways for the SEC this week. Because you got Bama, Texas. I think that'll be a competitive game. Arizona, Mississippi State, Auburn, Cal, Ole Miss, Tulane, A&M, Miami. I mean, th- those are those are formidable opponents across the board. So we're going to learn we're going to learn about the SEC much more. You're you're raising fingers. What do you got? They could go two and three or three and two, depending on what Tulane can get done against Ole Miss. Is that so? You're predicting at least two losses. Well, I mean, maybe only one. Uh, maybe maybe zero. But Arizona <laughs> is uh, Arizona and Cal. I think are potential landmines. Uh, yeah. for, for those two. Now, I think the Arizona game is in Starkville, though. So so that because I believe they went to Tucson last year. That's right. Uh, but that I'd give anything in the world, Mike. And uh, you know some Auburn fans. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd give anything in the world to be at the Auburn tailgate in Berkeley. Saturday. <laughs> Just to see the look on their face. Well, Tumors, here's the difference. Auburn has Tumor's Corner, where when you pick up a win, you take toilet paper and you throw it at at the trees, and, and uh, you know, you, that, that's it, part of the celebration. At Cal, I, that's another – I've never done a game at Cal. So I've never I've been all over California. I've never been to Berkeley specifically, but here's what I've heard from some of my brethren who have. Literally homeless people living in trees. They're not throwing toilet paper. They're using it in the trees. So that's the difference. Uh, it's it's I went there. I've, I've been to Berkeley once. I stayed there in uh gosh, it was about twenty years, eighteen years ago when I worked for Rivals. I was on one of those long trips where I just visited a lot of high schools. We stayed in Berkeley one night. The rest of Northern California at the time, and I know it's changed in San Francisco, all that beautiful. Berkeley, it looked like 1969 rolled around, and everybody's just like, all right. They shut the lights off and uh, just stayed there. Just stayed yeah. in 1969. Like, it, right. was, it was dirty. And compared to Stanford, the campuses aren't even close. But uh, I, I, with the what shape it is in now, and that bunch from Auburn, because you know they all bought too. Well, we're going out to California. We're going to go War Eagle. Oh, you know? yeah. They're going to be out there uh, tailgating. And I just, I, I just, the people watching alone would be worth Would be that. fascinating. But, but Cal had a nice win to open the season. Justin Wilcox is a really good coach. They try, I mean, you know, they've got this circled. And I've seen SEC teams AC, go out to the West Coast and, and really, really struggle at times. Um, you know, Tennessee losing to UCLA about 15 years ago. And then remember what happened to A&M when they blew a 20-something point oh, lead. Yeah. That was the beginning of the end for someone. But uh, uh-huh. Auburn better look out. Ole Miss better look out. I think A&M waxes Miami. Miami is still in the the bottom of the pit for me uh, until they prove otherwise, and, and they haven't. 
uh, you, you, they didn't prove it last week with, with what they did. But uh, uh, and I think Alabama rolls. But uh, other than that, you know, it is going to be an interesting week. Yeah, I, I I know there a lot of people are pitting this week as which are you more excited about, Bama, Texas, uh, or Colorado, Nebraska? I mean, come on, folks. <laughs> Bama, Texas. Bama, Texas. Nebraska is going down by four touchdowns. Uh, I, the, the, I, I'm, I'm not there. The offensive coordinator matchup alone should tell you that. Well, you, again, what other podcast in the country has had multiple Sean Lewis references before the game against TCU? Right here. Right here, baby. Right, right here. here. I, 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 I was at a tailgate Saturday watching that game going, I'm sure glad I've mentioned Sean Lewis 16 different times. Yes. <laughs> this is preseason. Boy, he's good. He's good. He's good. I've had him. I, I've, I had Kent State against Oklahoma last year. I had him in another Maction game on like a Wednesday night. Dude took him to two bowl games. Uh, you know, he was like a lot of co- – he was a marginal player. He'll tell you that. But a lot of those great offensive coordinators were marginal players. But but uh, the, the cerebral part of it, he's got down pat. And he had he, he had next level uh, opportunity written all over him. So to go to from a head coaching job to a coordinator position, uh, I, I think it just kind of flew under the radar. But but people who know people in the business knew. Like if you talk to other people in the business, they already knew the name. They 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 knew this this guy was coming. I don't know how Dion and that staff got tipped off to Sean Lewis. I don't think there's any. I think they crossed paths at any point. He just made a hell of a hire. But he I made mean, a hell of a hire. I mean, he made it. And if you watch that game, and again, I don't want to completely uh, engage in the slurp fest that is Colorado football. Like, kudos to Colorado. Boulder's a beautiful place. I was just there a few months ago. Colorado fan base deserves something good. But that, what they did, if you watch the game, TCU is bigger across the board. Bigger, 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 stronger. If this was a weight room battle, Colorado had no chance. They just played a speed game. They just played, my 11 guys are quicker. We're going to turn this into a seven-on-seven track meet. And last one standing wins. And that's what they did. Now, whether or not they do that to Nebraska, I don't know. I think Matt Rule will have a little bit more resistance. But you could be right. You, you could absolutely be right. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our next segment, The Boss. The Godfather of Soul, helping bring us in the uh, top performers of the week. We'll also dive into the mailbag as well. More JC and Morgan after a break. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. Well, our taste in college football teams are what sauce of any. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down to Ohio, down to Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And Chicken Cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, which is today Bourbon County. 
Mike here for Elite Roofing and Restoration. Chances are you're a homeowner. You're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time. The roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials materials, and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form, get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. Hey, this is Mike Morgan, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone just keeping the dream alive like me, you'll want to make sure you have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where the world-renowned Dr. Michael Hatrack of Synergy Sports Wellness and Synergy Release Sports come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and he has served thousands of people, including over 400 NFL players, over a career that spans 47 years. Yeah, he's that good. And his staff's personalized biomechanical treatments and therapies can handle it all. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. We all know the injuries, but few know the solutions the way Dr. Hatrack and his terrifically trained staff do. I've seen others. No one delivers the results the way they do. That's why people from all over the country come to Synergy's two Georgia locations, Buckhead and Alpharetta. Dr. Hatrack has trained a team of chiropractors in his proprietary technique that has been proven to yield life-changing outcomes from professional athletes to the Joe Schmoes of the world like, well, me. Check out the website to set up an appointment today, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCandMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can reach your wellness goals. Got out of the soul, James Brown. Brings it back. Time for the boss. JC, you're the boss every week. I mean, Absolutely. Literally, I mean, you're the boss of your own website, for crying out loud. Uh, these folks, they don't necessarily own a uh, promising franchise just yet. But maybe they do. Who knows? Who knows what their side hustle is? Here are some of the top performers of the week. We talked about Sean Lewis and what he... Uh, kind of devised, and again, it's just it's maximizing what you have. They're not going to smash mouth you in Boulder. They don't have the line of scrimmage to do that. But if you can try and get your opponents in a perimeter game, man, oh, man, do they have speed. Shadur Sanders, 510 passing yards, like a school record on the road against a Power 5 opponent in Week 1. Pretty insane stuff there. And obviously, when you're talking about Travis Hunter, I mean, you, you covered – this kid in recruiting, right, JC? I mean, number one by 24-7 uh, sports? Yeah, that's one I agree. I, I have to agree with now. I mean, Iron Man football, this dude played, uh, he played 120 snaps. 120 snaps? Now, I don't think you can keep that up. And made, yeah. Him dry. And made key plays on both sides of the ball. I think he's who Dion. Had it been more like in vogue, had coaches taken more chances back then? I think he's a guy for Dion's own heart because I think Dion definitely could have gone both ways. 
Well, no question. And, 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 yeah, he caught 11 passes, 119 yards, and an interception on defense. He's the first guy to do, like, that type of uh, juggling act on both sides of the football in, in many, many years. But you have the Gamble kid at Ohio State. Uh, people will immediately, I think, reflexively go to Charles Woodson. Charles didn't play that much offense at Michigan. Uh he, he was obviously a special teams weapon, but a lot of guys have done both, play one side of the ball and be return guy. Here's the guy people forget, and again, living in Atlanta, this was brought up quite a bit. Those that remember Champ Bailey, Champ Bailey did this a lot. Do not forget about the Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. People forget about Champ Bailey at Georgia because Georgia wasn't that good back then. These were not great Georgia teams. But Champ Bailey... Would, was the starting defensive back, and I, I remember watching games where he'd play all get, the whole game of DB, and then when you needed a big play in the fourth quarter, he'd run a go route on offense, and nobody could cover him. But Champ Bailey was that kind of dude. I don't know if he played 120 snaps, but he played a lot on both sides of the ball. Some people have been critical of this. I'm not going to criticize. Look, if the kid can do it, the kid can do it. If the kid wants to do it, if he didn't want to do it, he'd say, Coach, I can't. I'm tired. I'm gassed. I'm not going to do it. I hope he, he does it some more. And if he does and Colorado wins enough games, certainly he'll get some Heisman consideration because nobody does it for that many snaps anymore. It's just it hasn't been a thing for a while. Uh, Mikey Keene. You heard me right. Mikey Keene was the boss. Who the hell is Mikey Keene? He's the quarterback for Fresno State. He threw for 366, four scores against Purdue. He's a five foot eleven QB, a transfer from UCF. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, JC, you picked that game, Fresno over Purdue. Yeah, I mean you, you, the Boilermakers are coming back to earth after their eight and six banner. Uh, March to the Citrus Bowl to get slaughtered, uh, and, and also in the Big Ten, their division championship team last year, because their coach is at Louisville now. And I don't know if they made a super hire or not, but, you know, Fresno's a good, solid program. I'll tell you who did make a, a super hire. This guy's the boss. He might be the boss at a Power 5 school near you very quickly. G.J. Kinney. G.J. Kinney helped lead Texas State over Baylor 42-31 to on Saturday night. A lot of people thought Baylor would be in the Big 12 championship game. Well, Texas State had other ideas. You know who the quarterback at Texas State is? You know, a little, uh, what they used to do on game day. I've got a $100 bill in my pocket if you can. Uh, I know me. this. I just said my brain. Well, don't feel bad. I didn't know until I, until I looked it up. I forgot all about this dude. T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley. Albert and LSU fade. Yeah. He's still around, man. He's He's got his passport. He's just jumping all over from school to school. Finley lit it up against the Baylor defense. Uh, so who the hell is G.J. Kinney? Kinney last year assembled the top-scoring team in FCS at Incarnate Word, 51.5 points per game. 51.5 points per game. Uh, he is a guy that, if you if you do a deep dive, which I did on kind of his background, he's got the whole tree working for him. Okay? He's got Chip Kelly. He's got Mike Leach. He's got, he's got a number of different concepts that he's picked up over his time as an assistant coach. Uh, again, remember the name. 
G.J. Yeah. Kinney. I remember him as a recruit. Uh, he was you one really? of those late, late, late uh, commitment to Texas, one of those Texas quarterbacks that didn't work out. Uh, from uh, He was from Gilmer. Uh, and then he went to Tulsa and lit it up. Um, played for Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn at Tulsa. Uh, and then had a cup of coffee with the Jets and uh, Giants, Eagles, Canadian Football League. Goes back, coaches for Morris, uh, SMU in Arkansas, coaches for Chip Kelly with the Eagles. Goes to Hawaii for a year. Uh, I think Todd Graham, who was his head coach at Tulsa, was at Hawaii that year. Goes back with Malzahn, gets the Incarnate Word job, uh, and now is at Texas State where he's uh, he's killing it. Texas State takes a lot of players out of the transfer portal, uh, and that is not a great Texas job. That, that used to be – that's the old – they're in Nacogdoches, Texas, um, and that's the old Southwest Texas Bobcats. Because uh, there used to not be a Texas State, because remember on Necessary Roughness there was That's right. a Texas right. State. Uh, but then they changed it to Texas State. But they uh, that went over Baylor was huge. And, and it does not surprise me that this kid uh, is a, uh, a great coach. I, he was a, I think his dad was a, um excellent high school coach in the state. And it does not surprise me. So I think he's, uh, he's going to be, uh, you know, a, a rising star. Uh, put his name on there with Elko and the rest. Yeah, I mean, how old is he? He's, he's got to be one of the youngest coaches in uh, Division One. But again, as you as you talked about the track record, he's already paid a lot of dues. Like those are the guys I have the most respect for the grinders, man. They just yeah. go from one job to another to another to another. Uh, you, you don't buy homes; you rent them uh, because you're not staying in any town particularly long. And just you just you, I don't want to say you steal. You borrow from your mentors, and you mentioned a couple more there, and Gus Malzahn, Chad Morris, and you come up with these, you take the best parts of it, you put it all in the gumbo pot, and there you do. You, you, you put up 42 points on the road against a Baylor defense. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine moving from Fayetteville, Arkansas, to Philly, to Honolulu, to Orlando. And then back to Texas. And back to Texas in the middle of a lot of, uh, lot, of the lot of fun places there. Fun yeah, places. and and you're right. That is a more difficult. Like Texas San Antonio, that's not a bad gig. Mm-hmm. They they play in a nice facility. You're in a major city. Blah blah blah. Uh, Texas State is a much more difficult job. All right. Uh, here, speaking of names from the past, Cade McNamara, former Michigan quarterback, he's now the QB at Iowa. They got a big one against Iowa State this weekend. Hey, look, baby steps. They scored 24 points in a win against Utah State, okay? When, you're, when your offensive coordinator is the head coach's son and you, you're one of the worst scoring programs in all of Division One football a year ago, 24 points might as well be 50, even though it is Utah State. Cad McNamara played a good game. We'll, we'll give him a little bit of love. Caleb Williams, again, five touchdowns. Caleb Williams might be the boss every week on this segment. Uh, Michael Penix was terrific for Washington over the Boise State. He threw for 455 touchdowns. Again, another one of those packed quarterbacks that's uh, going to light it up and probably be a first-round draft pick. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Keon Coleman, three touchdowns against LSU. He was the best player on the field for much of that game. Um, just uh, an incredible performer and a transfer from Michigan State that's going to take that Florida State passing game to new heights, or at least heights they haven't seen there in a while. This is going to stick in the crawl of some LSU fans, too. 
Uh, you know, Keon Coleman is a native of, of Louisiana, the Pelican, of the Pelican State. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what town, but I know he's a Louisiana kid. Is, that, is it somewhere in northern Louisiana? I think he's in, uh, up in the northwestern, near Shreveport, maybe. Okay, gotcha. All right, the mailbag. I know we're over on time. Godfather, thank you. Put JB back in the uh, back in his dressing room. He can. Keep the vocal cords uh, sharp for next Tuesday on the next installment of J.C. and Morgan. Uh, quickly from the uh, the mailbag on jcandmorgan.com. Easy Ed from Jacksonville. Uh, love the podcast, fellas. Longtime Seminole. I'll admit I was ready to fire Norvell a couple of years ago. You're not alone, Ed. Now I love the guy. Do you think the team is playoff material and is FSU back? The jury is still out on both of those questions, but I certainly think they're going to be in the running. If they beat Clemson... I think there's an outstanding chance they're back in the playoff. And is FSU back? One year doesn't make you back, but, I, again, I just have a feeling that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. For whatever reason, they fell into the abyss. Um, but this is not Willie Taggart's Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, and Norvell needed time. And, and, and you know, I want to credit him, too, with not only – you know, uh, going and getting the players in and being patient. They had some ugly losses, man, let's just be honest. But uh, changing the culture of that program a bit, you know, because it's uh, – there were some guys that were talented coming out of high school on that roster that just did not – they just were not good dudes. Um, but, yeah, you're right. They got Southern Miss this week at Boston College uh, the following week, and then it's at Clemson. And then you got a bye week, and – Boy, Mike, uh, uh, I don't know who's going to beat them. Maybe, I mean, going up to Pitt, uh, if you're a Florida school, going up north in November is always uh, a challenge. But, uh, I mean, unless Miami is some sort of, like, great team uh, this year, they come in on November 11th, uh, or unless the Gators turn it around, Mm -hmm. you get through September 4-0, I think undefeated ACC championship berth, Playoff, uh, I think it's all right there for the taking. Uh, in terms of Florida State, should be able to do it. Yeah, should be able to do it. And now, and they've got their. You know, again, when you when you schedule a game like this and you win it, uh, for those that want to say ACC is not this, they're not that. Uh, it doesn't matter. They already have their signature win against an SEC opponent on a on a neutral field. So that that would get them over the hump if it came down to that. For sure. One other thing that they, they seem to have rectified, even going back to Jimbo, for years and years and years, even the most talented FSU teams, for whatever reason, never had an offensive line that was worth a damn. They always had a leaky offensive line. Uh, it's not as if they didn't recruit the position well. I would imagine, J.C., they had their fair share of four-star guys, but it, it, they always seemed to have issues on the line. I did not see an issue on the line against LSU. Um, Definitely. For some reason, Mike's microphone is out. Okay, so it is Mike Morgan. Unfortunately, we probably just missed a lot of radio gold. But we'll, we'll go ahead and um, wrap it there. I apologize for everything. Uh, this is one of those uh, technical issues that happen from time to time. I, I did not know. And it's kind of funny because I, I don't know that Mike knows this or not. Uh, anyway, J.C. and Morgan, College Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, right now. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We'll get this figured out. 
Uh, and we'll be back probably next Tuesday, most likely. Uh, it'll take an act of God for us not to be. But for Mike Morgan, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the J.C. Morgan College Football Podcast. Take care, everyone.